in the altcoin season, if you are not searching for crypto gems on KuCoin, you're doing it wrong. As the home of altcoins, KuCoin is offering over 600 tradable coins. Whether you are a beginner or professional trader, you can always find a good product fit on KuCoin, ranging from earning products with passive income to derivatives trading with up to 100 times leverage. Sign up today to find the next crypto gem in DeFi, GameFi, NFT, and Metaverse. Join us with 10 million global investors and claim your $500 welcome bonus now. Welcome to KuCoin. It's K-U-C-O-I-N. Sign up to get a 500 USDT welcome bonus. Welcome to the CoinGecko Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Young. Each week, we'll be interviewing someone from the blockchain industry to learn more about this fast-moving cryptocurrency economy. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The CoinGecko Podcast is produced each week to help you stay ahead of the curve. Show notes can be found at podcast.coingecko.com. I highly encourage you to join our newsletter where we send out top news in the crypto industry every Monday to Friday. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter and Telegram at CoinGecko. Hello everyone, my name is Ben and as usual, I'm the host of today's podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. Uh, he is anonymous, but he is also known as Owen, the co-founder of Pseudoswap. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Owen. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, you know, great to have you on. And you know, before we begin, I always like to ask all our uh, speakers who come on board is to tell us a little bit about yourself and you know how you got started in crypto. Okay, yeah, yeah. So um, for people who might not know, uh, I'm a programmer and I work on a few different applications in the Ethereum space. So I first got involved um, around like DeFi summer in 2020, um, you know, when there were a bunch of food farms and I was participating. And then I also wanted to, you know, build something. And at the time, NFTs were you know, much more low key, like Rarible had just come out. Um, so I built something uh, that sort of spun out and that ended up becoming like the zero X Mons NFT project. Um, and then with like the community of collectors there kind of grew and ended up building like lots of different applications. Um, the one that is probably like much more pertinent today is Pseudoswap. Awesome. So, you know, what is Pseudoswap? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, up until a while ago, the way that people usually used Pseudoswap was for peer-to-peer -peer OTC. So it was an application built on top of the Zero X protocol that allowed people to swap anything for anything. You know, someone might say, you know, oh, I have like these two tokens and this NFT. You have this NFT that I want. You know, let's do this trade if both of us sign and agree. Um, and that's still up today. Um, so people can still do the OTC, uh, but there's also now this completely separate uh, protocol that's an AMM protocol that's a mm -hmm. decentralized NFT exchange. Um, so people can go on there to, you know, buy or sell NFTs. Um, and the protocol is meant to, you know, facilitate this in a uh, way that provides some features that aren't present in other marketplaces. Yeah. So, you know, could you help break it down for, you know, for our more uh, normie viewers, I guess, who are not so degen? Mm -hmm. I guess the first question that comes to mind is, you know, why would I buy 
an NFT on Pseudoswap and not on OpenSea? Yeah, so the idea for buyers is to ideally have something that behaves very similarly to a marketplace that you see on OpenSea, right? You can see all the items for sale, um, you can pick the ones that you like, purchase them, mm -hmm. or you can sell them uh, in exchange for ETH. Um, so, you know, if you've been on the Pseudoswap site and you click around, the interface sort of, you know, borrows a lot from like Gem, Genie, and other marketplaces where you add the items you want to your shopping cart, and then you do the checkout. The difference is what's happening behind the scenes. Um, on a platform like OpenSea or Luxair, users are signing these orders, you know, these intents to buy and sell, um, which then get stored, uh, you know, on like the platform servers. And then, you know, you get matched with the orders that you want. Um, what happens on Pseudoswap is all of the actual buy and sell orders are represented uh, on the Ethereum blockchain as these pools. So, you know, if you've played with Uniswap, there's this idea of like a liquidity pool. And Pseudo draws very similar parallels where people are creating these on-chain listings. So, you mm -hmm. know, this does mean that there's like more gas involved if people want to list their assets, but the protocol does a lot to make that cheap. Um, and bulk listings are oftentimes going to be more efficient. And when you, as the buyer, try to buy or sell your NFTs, you'll find that the gas is you know, very competitive, even with like the most optimized exchanges like Seaport. Yeah, I mean, I can attest to that myself as I'm an avid user. <laughs> it's really efficient, really cheap for anyone who is interested. So, okay, you know, the big question is, Sudoswar has actually been talked a place you know, on crypto Twitter for a bunch of different things. And one of the main things is it has grown really popular over the past few weeks, ever since its launch. Uh, is there, are there any interesting or exciting statistics that you can share about the protocol itself? So... The protocol has been something that's been worked on for over a year now, like around a year ago, I put out this PDF that was just a white paper that, you know, went over the original idea. And then it was mm -hmm. later on in the year that uh, we started working on the smart contracts. Um, and then, you know, it, like gradually got rolled out. So it was open to the public fully in July. And I think that first month, you know, not a lot of people were playing around. Um, and then there was like a big uptick in usage starting in August. Um, and then there were all sorts of really interesting, you know, like community driven pools, like mm. pools that were launching natively on pseudo. And I think it was really exciting to see like a lot of this, uh, you know, type of innovation being built on top, um, which is really cool, right? That's like why the smart contracts are there because people can then interact with them. Um, so I think in terms of stats, it's like, uh, like a few, like maybe 600 ETH of volume every mm -hmm. day across, you know, like buys and sells. Um, and, you know, after, you know, originally it was like 10 ETH a day and then it spiked a lot and it's sort of like plateauing around like a few hundred um, right now. Yeah, I mean, that's really impressive, right? And I guess the big question is why, why do you think it's become so popular suddenly, right? Because there's always this incumbent marketplaces like OpenSea, et cetera, et cetera, you know, who are kings and it's never, no one's really moved the needle, even looks right. But, you know, this, this small uptick um, in on NFT AM came in and, you know, there, there's been some stats showing that they've also been taking some of the market share. You know, why do you think that is? Yeah, so I think that, you know, like obviously the big reason that you can't escape, which I also think, you know, we're definitely going to talk about throughout the podcast is like, mm -hmm. there's the question of royalties or creator fees or, you know, platform fees that are being taken. And Pseudo as a platform 
uh, you know, is like very minimal and that there's like half a percent being taken um, mm -hmm. and that's collected by the protocol and that's it. So I imagine, you know, like a big part of it might be that certain traders are very like price sensitive and they might, you know, gravitate there. Um, but, you know, the part of me that's a bit more hopeful is that, you know, there's other things about the platform that can make it attractive, you know, even if projects are, you know, deciding to have most of their volume happen on other marketplaces, or, you know, even if, uh, you know, they have other uh, opinions on like how marketplaces should work. And mm -hmm. I think seeing those interactions is also really cool. And I think, you know, there's more on the analytics side we can do to dive into like where the usage is coming from. But, you know, a lot of the collections that are seeing high volume are ones that um, oftentimes are somewhat homogenous, which is a good fit mm -hmm. for, you know, collection offers, right? Because that way you don't really yep. mind which item you buy, um, as well as, you know, projects like base schools who come from like a very DeFi native background. So, you know, these are people who might be more comfortable, um, you know, with like the concentrated liquidity that Pseudo uses, you know, what it means to like provide liquidity or, you know, like trading on an AMM might feel more natural for them. Yeah, you mentioned a lot about how Pseudoswap is more attractive to CT natives as well as DGENs. And I guess that's a big uh, shift in the conversation because for the most part, NFTs have always been a separate world, right? They use crypto technology, but for the most part, everyone has kind of always acknowledged that, yeah, you know, there's an NFT Twitter and there's a crypto Twitter. There's an NFT side, crypto side. So, you know, Pseudoswap is really forcing the conversation, kind of bridging the gap between NFTs and DeFi and making communities clash. And, you know, obviously you're from the crypto side, from the more DGEN side. So what are your thoughts on this whole royalties debate, right? Uh, mm. As the founder of Pseudoswap. Yeah, I think that it's not something that I'm going to be able to give an answer that, you know, everyone is going to be yeah, satisfied sure. <laughs> with. Uh, I think that, you know, one is that I've like, I think I've participated on both sides where, you know, I got my start, you know, issuing these NFT collections. I've like collaborated with Figure on Salt, which ended up being like a well-celebrated piece that was more art focused. I think, you know, the thinking around Pseudoswap, right, was sort of an extension of other, uh, you know, like really groundbreaking work, like what Neolastics did or what NFTX did, where, you know, the idea is that like liquidity can be attractive for certain NFT collections. And, you know, I guess it's like kind of a default response, but the idea is, you know, Pseudo is far from the only game in town. There are like many other marketplaces, um, mm -hmm. you know, like Foundation and Super Rare, and specifically for creator fees, right, I think they're going to provide like better gallery auction um, and like collector yep. support. So, you know, I think that it's like pretty fair to say that, you know, for these low edition uh, collections, right, like Pseudo doesn't even have a good way to like sort by the different art blocks um, right now because mm -hmm. they're all under one contract. So I think, you know, there are going to be better venues to trade, you know, certain types of digital art um, that, you know, I think appeal more to uh, like both collectors and artists. Um, whereas, you know, if you look at like, again, the collections that are trading the most on Pseudo, right, these are oftentimes you know, collections that are either like more DeFi native, so the projects themselves have mm -hmm. an inclination to set up liquidity pools, or, you know, they're like PFPs where the team has, you know, often raised like seven figures or more in primary sales. And in that case, mm -hmm. I think like the goal is to make something liquid, you know, collecting like a three to 5% tax is like a, you know, less defensible position. Um, and, you know, as the platform is built today, that's sort of, you know, what it's facilitating for those types of trades. Um, but again, you know, like the platform itself, uh, is like very agnostic, right? There's 
lots yeah. of room for people to build things on top if they want to take additional fees. And there's already been some, you know, like really cool community efforts where people want to trade with certain pseudo pools, you know, but send creator fees or build on like a separate router, like what Vasa mm -hmm. and some other people are doing. You know, there's lots of ways to build on top of the protocol that can enable this. You know, it's just like not a decision that's being made directly on the like pool level itself. Yeah. It, I mean, it's like you mentioned, it's like Uniswap, right? It's just the base protocol. Anyone can do anything what they want after it. They, financial Legos, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, you know, like a broader question, which is still something that's really early. And that's the question of, you know, how these like types of liquidity pools can be additive in terms of volume. Like, I think one thing mm -hmm. that we saw when, you know, like liquidity pools are early um, on Pseudoswap when a collection launches is you oftentimes get like arbitrage between these, you know, between like OpenSea and yep. Pseudo or vice versa. And right, as long as like, you know, there are other marketplaces that are also taking creator fees, right? Like the flows one way or the other can be potentially additive. And I know mm -hmm. uh, like for collections specifically, like Bastard Gans have been talking about how, you know, they set up like collection offers on Pseudo because it's cheapest there. And then people will, you know, maybe buy from other marketplaces um, to sell to Pseudo. So, you know, they can acquire in that sense, but, you know, the trades on the other marketplaces are sort of their focus. And then you know, like mm -hmm. the creator fees and other things are taken there. So I think, you know, even if like pseudo isn't the primary place to trade, the fact that it's, you know, on-chain and composable means that, you know, hopefully there are ways to leverage the tech in ways that can yep. be useful. So, you know, from what I can tell, right, uh, as an NFT enthusiast myself, I think what PseudoSwap really indicates or showcases is that there are a lot more traders in the space for NFTs than there are collectors. And SuperSwap is kind of just addressing the demand for liquidity because collectors aren't going to want to trade. They're just going to buy and hold. That's the whole point of collecting. But I think this you know, answers a broader question in the space, right? How many, how many of your buyers or holders are actually genuine collectors? And you know, SuperSwap kind of answers that for everyone. <laughs> I think that, yeah, speculation is very hard to disentangle from the yeah. crypto industry, right? Like yeah. so many things have are like one or two steps away from price. You know, I think there's like a separate question too, which also I don't think I have a good answer about, which is, you know, the degree to which liquidity is either, you know, hampering these pumps or making pumps easier to engineer. I could see mm -hmm. cases for both where, you know, if you just issue your NFT in like increments of one ETH each time, then, you know, the next price to buy ends up being a lot larger. <laughs> um, so that's something that you could imagine setting up. But, you know, similarly, yeah. right, you could have like a really thick pool that's, you know, like within the price ranges of 0.1 to 0.2, then people might have the feeling that, you know, there's like a, you know, sell wall in order to get the NFTs to the next price. Yeah. So I think that, you know, especially for, uh, again, you know, collections where there's like, a large liquid, roughly homogeneous floor, you know, I think mm -hmm. that there's some preference for having uh, like thicker liquidity there where prices don't move as much. And then, you know, even for like, like supply size is always the case where, you know, if there's not that many NFTs, then, you know, people are going to naturally space the prices more. Um, so I think that, right, that's like also tied into how the prices move. Yeah, ultimately, SuperSwap is, you know, a natural consequence of crypto, at least this is my opinion. If you can arbitrage the cost of something out, it will be done. And, you know, SuperSwap might have been the first, but if SuperSwap did not do this, I think someone else would have done it eventually. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? 
Mm, so there were, you know, lots of other platforms that did this in various ways, right? Like mm -hmm. the, the comparison when you talk about liquidity, it's NFTX is, you know, always going to be there because I think they did a lot for the space as a first mover. And, you know, in the same way, like when you trade using like their, uh, they're like fractionalized tokens, you know, there's no royalty fee being taken on the AMM, you know, or yep. like Niftex, NFT20, or, you know, even something like the previous OTC version of PseudoSwap where it's just peer to peer. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's like a lot of different like exchange type protocols which facilitated this. Um, I feel like the, the attention like specific on PseudoSwap is I think probably because it, you know, behaves more efficiently like a marketplace than yep. some other protocols where, the you know like the way of doing exchange feels a lot more like you know anyone could come in and fill rather than like you're trading directly with a pool or directly mm -hmm. with a peer um i think that you know again it seems like definitely something that's going to lead to market stratification where you know yep. i imagine if you're like collectors of you know certain types of art pieces you know you'd still want to go to like these curated platforms uh, because that's sort of like the sign of quality um and, you know, I would encourage collectors to do that, right? Like there's only so much that the PseudoSwap team can build out and, you know, having certain types of like gallery and auction support is going to be much farther down the line. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that like an interesting trend is platforms moving more towards helping with primary sales in order to uh, generate revenue. Like I think, you know, Zora recently released some stuff where users can go through like their studio editor if they want to release editions and you know they take mm -hmm. like an initial cut of that um and there have been like a few other curated platforms that go that route so you know i think it's definitely like feeding into the thesis that you know like the markets are definitely separating into different types where i imagine yep. you know, like dgens might flock more to pseudoswap because it's like more similar to the type of trading experience they're used to but you mm -hmm. know at the same time there are lots of these like more curated experiences popping up um that might cater directly to creators. You mentioned down the line that there might be some curation auction things. Um, so do you ever see PseudoSwap building more features that caters to the creators of NFT projects in the future? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that, you know, people um, like, or that we've been in discussion with are, you know, ways to source liquidity either for aggregators or, you know, for protocols that want to like sort of own the front end for their marketplaces. And again, mm -hmm. you know, the idea is that like, the protocol, the pseudoswap protocol itself is like very minimal. So, you know, if people want to end up charging like another 1% fee or something else on top, it's like very straightforward to do so. And there've been like some early discussions about, you know, what like more curated platforms could look like using the protocol. Um, so I think, you know, it's a lot of it is work in progress. The most exciting thing is, you know, once the protocol is able to decentralize more, seeing, you know, other people also take the lead and building things on top. And a lot of like the early efforts to experiment already have been really encouraging. Awesome. Before we end the conversation, there's just kind of one segue that I want to go into, which is over the past few weeks, we kind of have seen the growing prominence of NFT lending and mm -hmm. also the consequences of NFT lending. Because you know, one of the biggest problems that has happened recently is the devaluation of collateral assets, right? Uh, and essentially, this leads to a liquidation crisis. We saw that with Bendal, where lenders were at the short end of the stick. Those who were lending their ETH or stable coins were kind of wrecked because no one wanted to buy uh, valueless JPEGs. Do you see this 
affecting pseudoswap anyway are the inherent mechanisms of pseudoswap affected by the strong devaluation of NFT collaterals? Mm. So I guess there's maybe two ways to tackle this. The first one is, mm -hmm. you know, the most obvious role that I see is that for certain collections, you know, where either maybe like the collection itself is putting up LP or there's like a sizable amount of LP that you can be confident is there, right? You know, lending is much easier because, you know, you have this external pool of liquidity that liquidators can use. Um, so I imagine you know, like the protocol can be helpful in those ways. I think, you know, like a separate related question though is, you know, what happens when there is like a, like a liquidation crisis, or, you know, what happens when like things cascade and, you know, like how wrecked could pseudo LPs be, um, and, you know, like in what would happen if you were, you know, doing like a normal LP, right? The idea is like, oh, you're worried that someone could dump on you. Um, or like, if you know that someone's dumping, right, you might want to like pull your LP. So your position doesn't get impacted. Uh, one of the strengths of like the underlying AMM protocol that pseudo uses is users can adjust their price points at any point or like, you know, adjust how much slippage is incurred. So if you, you know, foresee like some sort of event happening and you want to like capture some of the resulting volume or liquidations, mm -hmm. but, you know, you don't want your pool to be like adversely potentially drained, you know, there's things that you can do, you know, rather easily. You can, you know, adjust your price to be much lower um, or you could, you know, set like a much higher slippage. So, you know, as people sell into it, they would get like far more uh, like unfavorable rates, uh, which, you know, in this case would be good because then you're not expending as many funds to purchase like the next marginal asset. So I think that, you know, those two are sort of the main thoughts. I guess thirdly is the idea that, you know, I think lending for NFTs is difficult because the markets are inherently illiquid, right? If you only have 10,000 yep. units, there's only so much you can do. So my own personal thoughts are like lending seems to work best when it's like, you know, fixed term, uh, sort of like ruler style where you're mm -hmm. essentially doing like an option. Um, and ZeroX and GMI did a cool thing with TubbyC where they're essentially like mm -hmm. the underwriter for all of the loans. Um, you know, for these like fixed duration, uh, like loans using NFTs as collateral. And I guess, you know, the other way is if you, instead of, you know, having one underwriter, you essentially like ensure that you only like lend out funds. If you have someone on like as a counterparty willing to basically like fully collateralize the loan for some duration. Um, in this case, right, instead of doing something like LTV and estimating liquidity or floor price, you just make sure that like, you know, all of your, the money that you're lending out is being backed by someone else. Yeah, you know, I love how the conversation has grown. You know, over the years, we all were like, you know, who pay for JPEG? And now it's, yeah, you know, it's a financial product and everything. It's, it's, I, I'm all for it, but I just like how we have evolved. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think, you know, like philosophically, it's definitely the case that you don't want to be putting a price on everything. And maybe this is why mm -hmm. soulbound tokens have become like a bit more interesting recently, but you know, I think like definitely from the art perspective, there's something that can be unappealing about, you know, always having price for certain assets. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, the way that certain projects market themselves definitely, you know, leans towards that direction, right? Where holding an yeah. asset could give you access to another asset or, you know, there's like a focus on liquidity or in mm -hmm. most cases, like volume particularly, you know, which like will tend to financialize them um, in those directions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the way that like, I think DeFi is sort of reaching over, I think, you know, definitely makes that like 
accelerate more. Okay, last question for the day. What are SudoSwap's plans for the short term and the long term? Mm. Yeah, so for the short term, there's some really cool tech stuff that uh, is getting added to the protocol. So, you know, some upcoming bonding curves that'll ideally give mm -hmm. LPs more choices for, you know, how they want to set their ranges or fees. Um, some upcoming protocol support for other asset types like 1155s, you know, like various GameFi tokens could also be supported. Um, in the medium term, I think, you know, there's a lot more to leverage because the protocol is on chain. So whether this is, you know, making mm -hmm. it easier for like multi-sigs or DAOs to deploy capital into these on-chain markets or, you know, having like on-chain incentivization, you, know, you can imagine something like MasterChef that for like pseudo pools. I think those oh, are cool. really cool extensions <laughs> of the protocol. Awesome. Um, I guess that's about it for today, Owen. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, you know, it was great having you here, having talk about everything. Yeah, and thank you for your time, Ben. Yeah, thank you so much. Take care. Take care. All right, that wraps up the show. Thank you for listening to the CoinGecko podcast with Bobby. If you like our show and want to know more, check out podcast.coingecko.com or please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any feedback, do drop us an email at hello at coingecko.com. Join us for more next week. See ya! This podcast is provided as part of the overall information on cryptocurrency contained on our website, is for your general information only, and does not howsoever constitute any endorsement, financial or investment advice, nor any solicitation or offer of securities or other financial instruments. CoinGecko and the podcast presenter makes no warranties, implied or express, of any kind in relation to this podcast, including, without limitation, the accuracy and updatedness of its content. All opinions and recommendations therein the podcast are based on the personal opinion of the presenter. Please conduct your own research and procure professional advice should you, at your own risk, decide to howsoever invest or trade in relation to the content contained in the podcast.